Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Sparopoulos. And this episode of the 94 Feet Report and the show itself is brought to you by Fan Essentials. Uh, Fan Essentials is a great company that provides uh, monthly subscription boxes that provide you with a a box, uh, whether a small, medium, or large size, depending on your subscription package. Um, and it provides you with a, a, some gear from your favorite team each month. So they have the NBA, the NFL, NHL, MLB, and I think MLS is soon. Um, and so you can sign up, choose your favorite team, and each month you'll get a box of their fav- of your gear from that favorite team. Um, it's great. Some unique items. I've tried it out for the Rockets. It's a great company, and they give you some great items that you really can't find anywhere else. Um, and if you use the promo code 94FEET, that's the number nine, number four, and then the word FEET in all caps, you'll get 30% off on checkout. And actually, we have a giveaway going on the 94V report here on All In Sports Talk Radio Network. The giveaway is how it works is that I'll be asking a question in the beginning, in the middle, and the end of the episode, and um, also post the question on Twitter. I've already posted it on Twitter, actually. It's been sitting there for a little while. Um, and the giveaway question, whoever answers the question correctly first, uh, will get a free month of fan essentials. Uh, so the question is this. Who is the player with the highest three-point percentage in a single season? So a player who, that qualifies... Who has the highest three-point percentage in a single season? It is pretty recent, so that's a little give you a little hint about that. Um, so again, I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis. Um, You can find some of my work. I'm a writer for the Dream Shake on SB Nation, which is the Houston Rockets-affiliated blog. Um, I'm also an analyst and insider for NBA Lead. Um, and then now I'm hosting the 94 Feet Report on All in Sports Talk Radio Network, Mondays at 10 p.m., uh, this used to be a podcast that I hosted on Blog Talk Radio. Um, if you search us up on iTunes, the 94 Feet Report uh, basketball podcast, you will find our previous episodes. I think we have upwards of 15 there. Um, and I've just launched now. I've moved from, from Blog Talk Radio, and I've launched a SoundCloud page for the for the episode. So I will archive and record the episodes when I'm doing them live on All In Sports Talk. They will replay throughout the week on All In Sports Talk Radio Network. And then... Um, they will be posted to SoundCloud um, throughout the week, and then we'll be archived there as well. Anyway, so if you listen to our episode last week, anytime during the week last week, we started off our divisional previews by looking at the Atlantic and the Pacific divisions, and I'll give you the structure again before we start off um, in today's episode, which will be doing the Southeast and the Southwest divisions. Uh, so what we did is I, I went in order of how I think the teams will finish. Uh, I reviewed their offseason, gave them a grade for the offseason, talked about the status of the franchise. You know, I talked about some main points for each team, gave a projected record for this season, and then I gave a fantasy stud and a fantasy bust for each team. And um, I must clarify that the term stud and the term bust are used loosely. A bust is not necessarily, I think, someone who have a bad year, but it might be someone who is being too hyped up in, or in fantasy, whether that be average draft position or people talking about this player on Twitter or whatever. And the stud might not be the best players having the best season. It might just be someone who's underrated who have a good season. It might be the, just the best player on the team. For some teams like the, the Sacramento Kings and you know the Rockets, you know, the stud is going to be pretty obvious. Um, so stud and bust are not the terms as you usually get to know them um 
So they're used differently in this context, but they're there for the fantasy aspect. Because if this is your first time listening to the All In Sports Talk, I mean, the 94 Feet Report here on All In Sports Talk Radio Network, this is an NBA podcast that does touch fantasy. So that's why I include fantasy segments, but this is mainly an NBA podcast as well. All right. In just a moment, we will start to preview the Southeast Division, um, and we'll cover the Southeast and the Southwest today, and we'll be using the same structures I did last week, so we'll be getting into that just right now. Okay, let's start off with the Southeast Division. Again, we're going in order of how these teams, I think, they're going to finish this season. Again, at these might be hot takes, they might be cold takes, they might be average takes, you know, they might be lukewarm takes, you know, I don't really know. Um, but everyone's entitled to their opinion, and I will go through reasons why I think things will play out this way. So for the Southeast Division, let's start off with the Atlanta Hawks. I think the Hawks will uh, win the division this year. And um, for the Hawks, it's interesting because... Let's just take a step back and analyze the Southeast Division as a whole. I think almost, I think the, all the teams got worse, really. I mean, you can make a case that the Wizards and Magic pretty much stayed the same or got a little bit better, but I think the Hawks, Hornets, and Heat got worse. And really, the question is who got wor- who got the least worst? You know, <laughs> you know that kind of silly grammatical sentence. But who, you know, who didn't suffer the most losses? That's really the in the offseason. I mean, um, that's really the question for this division. Uh, so I think the Hawks will finish uh, winning the division, the Southeast division. Um, and I think that it'll play out uh, with them winning the division with a record of 46 and 36. Um, so I believe they won 48 games last year. Actually, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Hornets, I believe, all won 48 games last year. Um, so I think the Hawks will drop about two games. And I gave them a C for the offseason, um, and there are a couple reasons why. I mean, they they lost Al Horford. We all know that. And, you know, Hawks fans or general, you know, kind of average NBA fans will point to, oh, but, you know, they got Dwight Howard. So, you know, that's not loss. You know, Howard is the same. They're not the same player. I'd rather have Horford right now in this stage of his career. And, yes, Dwight does um, Dwight is a better defender and, and a better rebounder, but Dwight's going to hurt this offense because Dwight Howard, I know Hawks fans are optimistic, but listen, every fan, every, uh, all the fans of teams that acquired Dwight Howard are optimistic for the first year. And then all of a sudden you see him, you know, yelling and, and dying for post touches. Um, we all know what happened in Houston last year. The Howard was phased out because he kept crying for post touches and then stopped trying on, on, on defense and gave bad effort and, and clashed with James Harden. And we'll get to the Rockets' problems later when we do the Southwest Division in this episode. But Horford, I think, is better than, than Dwight, and Horford was a better fit for what the Hawks wanted to do with that ball movement, you know, unselfish system. I think Dwight's kind of just like a clog right there in, in the lane right now. Um, and yes, he'll improve their defense, but their defense is already solid, and he'll improve their rebounding, which which is significant. Um, and can help him in transition, but he's going to hurt the offense in a big way. And will he clash with with Budenholzer in the system? And you know, it's his home. You know, people are you know touting it as his homecoming, but I don't think it's going to be such a welcoming homecoming. Um, another thing, another big question, really the X factor for the Hawks is: Is Dennis Schroeder ready? Um, you know, we all know the Hawks traded away uh, Jeff Teague in the off season. Um, 
were able to get a, a draft pick for that. Uh, I think they used it on Prince, who was kind of a reach, but I'll get to their draft in a little bit. But the real, the X factor of and who and the player that will decide how successful the Hawks are this season is not Dwight Howard, but it's Dennis Schroeder. Is he ready for the for the starting point guard roles? He's ready for thirty to thirty, you know, thirty to thirty four minutes. Who knows? Even maybe even more minutes. Um, I think he is. Um, you know, his per thirty six minute stats last season: nineteen and a half points per game, eight assists per game, and four and a half rebounds per game. Those are incredible numbers you know if Schroeder plays anywhere from 32 to 34 minutes a game he could put up similar numbers you know it's not it wouldn't be unrealistic for him to average 18 9 and and 4 which is which is great production from a point guard and better than Jeff Teague was was producing um so I think Schroeder's ready but I don't think he's gonna be like I don't think he's gonna be incredible there'll be some you know some tough stretches where he'll have to learn about being the starting point guard and, and having the responsibility of playmaking and developing the offense and going through the motions and the sets like that. But I think he'll have a good season, and, and he's really the X factor. Another question is, is, the, is a Paul Millsap decline on the way? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it's a contract year for, for Millsap, and he, we all know he, he's got it. I think he's going to be 32 in the offseason. He's got to get that one last big contract, and I think he knows that. So he'll be motivated to have a really good season. And last season, he was just spectacular. I mean, he averaged over a block per game, over a steal per game. I think it was somewhere like 18 points, 8 rebounds, you know. I think he averaged close to 3 assists a game. I mean, I'm just going off the top of my head. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But Millsap was a great fantasy player last season and a great player on the on the court just in general and I don't think he'll decline this season he's going to be hungry for that last big contract um and it's really going to be interesting to see how he meshes with Dwight I mean he meshed well with Horford Horford's gone Dwight's back you know Dwight takes up more space in the lane because Dwight doesn't have that mid-range jumper like Horford does and Horford's even stretched to three-point jumper now uh, which is kind of a big development he could be a stretch five in Boston when he wants to and when they play him at the center position so I don't think Millsap's on the decline um, but that will be something key to watch for the season and will be a big uh, dictator of the Hawks' success. I thought DeAndre Bembry, Bembry is, was a nice draft pick, a sneaky sleeper in the draft. Um, so ultimately, I mean, Horf, all Horford and Jeff Teague were pretty significant losses for this team. I mean, the face, Horford was the face of the franchise, and Teague had been there for a while establishing himself as a, as a good player. Um, and the, the real question for the Hawks is, do Dwight, Dwight Howard and Dennis Schroeder make up for them? And my answer is not quite, which is why I think they'll have two less wins this season. They'll still make the playoffs. Uh, coach Budenholzer is, very, is a very good coach, and he'll get them to the playoffs. And I think they'll finish with around the sixth seed, maybe even the fifth seed, um, with a projected record of 46 and 36. I think their stud will be Dennis Schroeder. And I could have chosen Millsap here, but I think Millsap's going to be kind of, you know, you, he is what you expect him to be. Uh, while Schroeder is kind of like a wild card, you know, some people are taking him in the top 50, you know, banking on the fact that more minutes and, and his per 36 minute stats will just translate and he'll be a great player, top 50 fantasy player. Some people are drafting him anywhere. I've, I've seen him fall to like the 80s or 90s, which I think is really low for Schroeder. Um, but I think Schroeder's the, the stud and the bust. And it's going to be Dwight Howard. I mean, I don't know what people expect from him. I see a lot of people drafting him in Roto Leagues. I see a lot of people drafting him pretty high, you know, just saying, oh, you know, it was Harden in Houston and it was that system in Houston that wouldn't allow Dwight to be himself and get his numbers. 
the Hawks don't play a system that's suited for Dwight Howard. It's just that's how it's going to be. Yes, Dwight will get his rebounds. His blocks have been decreasing every year for the past three to four seasons. Um, so pretty much Dwight's just kind of like a 15 and 12 guy now. Um, but you can't draft him in Roto Leagues. His free throw percentage is still awful. So Hawks, projected record of 46 and 36. A fantasy stud, Dennis Schroeder. A fantasy bust in Dwight Howard. Up next, the Charlotte Hornets. I think the Hornets will finish second in the division, only by a loss and, and only by one win less than the Hawks, with a record of 45 and 37. Um, I gave the Hawks, I mean, uh, sorry, the Hornets a C plus for the offseason. Um, I thought it was a very important for, of them to resign Nicholas Batum and Marvin Williams, and they did so, and they actually got Williams on a pretty bargain contract compared to what people were expecting them to get as kind of a stretch four who could play defense. But I think that the losses of Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, and Al Jefferson are, are important. Um, and yes, they brought in Ramon Sessions and Roy Hibbert, and that can reduce those losses, but the Hornets, I think, are a couple of wins worse, just like the Hawks are. Um, I think Lynn's a little bit better than Sessions. They didn't really replace Courtney Lee. They, they are getting Michael Kidd-Gilchrist back, um, but will he stay healthy? You really can't bank on that anymore, and if he doesn't stay healthy, they're going to be thin at the shooting guard position. Um... So I think that, you know, yes, Sessions and Hibbert and MKG coming back, you know, reduced the losses of Lin Lee and Big Al. But I think the Hornets are a couple wins worse, and that will reflect in their record this season. However, they are a great defensive team. They're well-coached. Clifford is a great coach. He had a great season last year, and the team had a great season last year, which is why I expect that structure and system to stay in place and, and them to still make the playoffs. Um, but I think that, you know, they'll take a minor step back, you know, a couple of wins uh, they'll take a couple of wins back. Just a minor step, you know. Lynn Lee and Al Jefferson are kind of just, you know, they didn't really replace that completely, especially if Michael Kidd-Gilchrist does not stay healthy, um, which is why I think that the Hornets are still a playoff team. And honestly, I think that if the Hawks get the sixth seed, I think the Hornets will probably get the seventh seed. Or if the Hawks get the fifth seed, I think the Hornets get the sixth seed. You know, they're only, I think they'll, I only have them one game behind the Hawks. Um... So I think that the Hornets will definitely be making the playoffs. They have that great defensive structure. They got, they're got they well coached by Steve Clifford. They brought back Batum and Williams. They're two key guys. I mean, they still got Kemba Walker there. Um, you know, they got Cody Zeller, uh, Roy, I mean, Roy Hibbert. You know, they've got players there. Um, but they did suffer some losses, and they didn't quite they didn't quite replace them as much as I would like them to be in order to predict them to be the same team or better. So I think they got a couple, they got a little bit worse and they'll take a minor step back, but they'll still be a playoff team with the seventh seed with a projected record of 45 and 37. Their fantasy stud, I love Nicholas Batum in fantasy. I mean, he's one of the few guys that contributes, you know, I think, he, you know, he can put up anywhere from, you know, 16 points, six rebounds, five assists, you know, he kind of gets you like you know, five rebounds and five assists per game with, with his 15 to 16 points. It's great contribution, especially in a Roto League. His percentages are good. He usually stays pretty healthy, so I think Nicholas Petruma is their fantasy stud. And the fantasy bust, I think, will be Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, he's He doesn't have good percentages shooting-wise. Uh, he's a great defensive player in, in the NBA when just talking about the game of basketball, um, but he's not. A, that, does, that doesn't really translate to fantasy. Um, 
And besides the fact that fact, more importantly, he's got to stay healthy. You know, he hasn't stayed healthy the past couple of seasons, and you, you really, you know, if you're not, you don't want to take that kind of risk on a player whose stats don't exactly translate from the actual game on the court to fantasy. Uh, so I think Michael Kikiokos is their bust. Nicholas Batum is their stud, fantasy stud, and the Hornets finish second in the Southeast Division with a projected record of 45 and 37. Okay, up next, the Washington Wizards. I gave the Wizards a C-plus for the offseason. I think they finished third in the Southeast Division. Um, And here's a couple reasons why. So, Scott Brooks is better than Randy Whitman, but not by much. It's not a significant coaching upgrade. It's not like the coaching upgrades that, um, you know, like Orlando bringing in Vogel or the Sacramento bringing in Dave Yeager. Um, it's not that kind of upgrade. You know, people were saying, oh, they brought in books, Brooks to kind of lure Kevin Durant to Washington, D.C. Uh, that didn't work out, and now uh, they're stuck with Brooks, but I think they kind of wanted Brooks anyways. Um, we all know Brooks had his struggles with OKC, and, you know, kind of he just kind of let the the star duo of Durant and Westbrook just kind of play isolation, and, he, you know, the offense stagnated in, you know, in clutch moments. Um and people really got on Brooks for that and, you know, they criticized him for not being, you know, much of a coach and being creative and designing plays and a system that he could, you know, put his 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 fingerprints on. Um, but he is better than Whitman, who was not a good coach, um, but did have some solid playoff success, ironically. Um, so I think that's a minor coaching upgrade. Uh, in terms of their offseason signings, I like the, the Jan Mihimi signing. Um, I don't know how that works into him his playing time versus Marcin Gortat's playing time, but I thought Mahimi was a good signing in itself. And the others were question marks, you know, Andrew Nicholson, Jason Smith. I don't know what they were doing there. Um, they traded for Trey Burke, and it was, a, it was a, I mean, you want to talk about low-risk trades. I mean, they traded like a 2020 second-round pick for Trey Burke, who I think is still only 22. You know, John Wall's knees are concerned, so Burke might get some starts this year. Um you know, Bradley Beal always seems to have injury problems. So, you know, Berg will get some playing time this year, and this could be kind of a, a revitalization for him after he was pretty much put in the in the doghouse in Utah for the past couple of seasons. Um, now, in terms of losses in the offseason, uh, the Wizards, you know, Nene left. He went to the Rockets, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, Jared Dudley left. He went to the Suns. Ramon Sessions, as we just talked about, went to the Hornets. Um, they're not major losses, but they are uh, they are losses of veterans that can still produce. Um, Dudley was an excellent stretch for last season. Nene, I mean, he only played, I think, around 50, 55 games, but one, for one, he looks great. I mean, he looked great in the Olympics, and, he's, and he looked really good in the Rockets preseason game, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so Nene wasn't that good last season. I think he averaged like 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, but he looks really good so far, you know, after he left the Wizards and went to the Rockets. We get talked about Dudley and Sessions is a solid backup point guard, and you know they they have Trey Burke now, and that's kind of like kind of the same production, I guess, um, at a much cheaper cost and age. So there is more upside with Trey Burke, but those are some kind of minor, you know, like rotational losses of veterans that can still produce. Now the thing with the Wizards is that um, the real key to this team, you know, we've gone through X factors like Dennis Schroeder and in Atlanta, and you know. The playing of the play of Sessions and Hibbert making up for the losses of Lynn Lee and Al Jefferson in, in Charlotte, but for the Wizards, the X factor is their health. 
there are some concerns about John Wall. He had double knee surgery over the offseason. Bradley Beal always seems to get hurt and miss 10 to 15 games a year. The health for this team, and specifically Bradley Beal and John Wall, is key. And I'll go a little bit farther in saying that not only is the health is key, but the chemistry of the team is key. There have been reports that Wall is jealous of other point guards getting these contracts, even though I guess Wall doesn't understand that if he was a free agent in this market, he'd get the max contract that all these other point guards are getting. But regardless, um, and there's also been, you know, Wall like even admitted that there's a friction between him and Beal, and because Beal got the massive contract, la- you know, this offseason as a restricted free agent, and Wall still sitting there with his current deal from I think a year or two ago. Um, they need to they need to be a cohesive unit. They need to be healthy, and and they need to integrate their new signings in along with Scott Brooks, who has to really reinvent himself reinvent himself as a coach. He took I believe a year or two off. A year off, I believe. He took a year off um, from coaching. You know, observed the game a little bit more. You know, he's got to you know put his fingerprints on a system that he will implement that you know plays to his stars, but also his role players. Doesn't get the offense stagnated in in crucial moments and stuff like that. Um, so if that happens, if they stay healthy, if Brooks reinvents himself as a coach and the new signings fit in and kind of you know kind of make fans forget about the minor, you know, rotational losses of Nene, Dudley, and Sessions. I think that will happen to an extent, and I think the Wizards will finish third in the Southeast Division with a projected record of 43-39. and 39. They will make the playoffs, actually, I believe, and um, I believe it could be as a seventh or eighth seed. Um, I think their fantasy stud will be John Wall. Um, yes, there is injury concern, and maybe he'll he probably will he probably will miss a couple of preseason games. They might even you know hold him out of double of, of back to backs throughout the regular season. But he's a, he's a great fantasy player when he's playing. I mean, gets you great rebounds, great blocks for a point guard, great assists. He actually upped his scoring, I believe, to almost I think 19 a game last year. He could push 20 at times. He improved his shooting percentages and his percentages all around. Yes, he has turnovers, but you know, if you're playing in a league, you know, nine cat had to get in a nine cat head to head league, you're you're punting turnovers anyways. Um and so, you know, you I don't really I don't really ever draft with, with turnovers in mind, just for a little advice there. So I think John Wall's gonna be their fantasy stud and their bust will be Bradley Beal, just mainly because he doesn't really contribute in that many categories besides threes and points. Uh solid percentages. But he doesn't really give you rebounds, doesn't really give you assists, not great steals. And the real reason I think he's going to be a bust is I think the health concerns are just too much. I mean, you don't want to draft them. You don't want to draft him kind of in the early to middle rounds for him to miss 10 to 15 games again. And yes, you could say that there are, there are those concerns with Wall, but Wall's been healthy the past two seasons. And there aren't really major concerns. They're just concerns that, you know, they hold Wall out of preseason and stuff like that. So I think the Washington Wizards visit, finish excuse me, third in the Southeast Division with a record of 43-39, and 39, and their fantasy stud is John Wall, and their fantasy bust is Bradley Beal. All right, next up in the Southeast Division, the Miami Heat. Wow, what an offseason for the Heat, and I'm not saying that in a good way. Dwayne Wade is gone, Chris Bosh is now gone, and boy, were those some ugly end to their tenures as Miami Heat players. We all know Wade wanted the money this year after taking so many pay cuts. Riley wouldn't really give it to him. They had a standoff, and then Wade said, you know what, you're not going to give me the money. I'm going to go to Chicago. I'm going to go hometown. And Riley was like, okay, go. You know, No respect shown for Wade, who's a Miami Heat legend. 
And then Chris Bosh, the entire offseason says, I'm ready to play, I'm ready to play, I'm ready to play. He has a, a kind of a physical or an evaluation or a training session. It's declared he's not ready to play. He says it's not the end of his career. Next thing you know, Pat Riley saying it's the end of his Miami Heat career. Doesn't even tell Bosch to his face or something. Um, Bosch stops responding to calls from Riley. You know, it's an ugly end to their ten years. I believe even Riley has an email ready to send to Dwayne Wade and hasn't pressed the send button or something. I don't know what Pat Riley's doing, driving away his star players and the franchise and the players that the fans and the franchise love. But he did. Wade and Bosch are gone. And not only that, don't let those two. Big losses overshadow the losses of Lou Waldang and Joe Johnson because they're gone too. Lou Waldang went to the Lakers. Joe Johnson went to the Utah Jazz. And while having all these losses, there weren't any significant additions. They brought back Whiteside. Do you want to count Deion Waiters, Waiters Island as a significant addition? Well, then, if you want to do that, go ahead. But that's not going to be a winning team if that's your significant addition of the offseason. So we just named four key losses. And yes, Bosch didn't really play that much last year, but just him not being there, you know, it's it's a problem. And I wish that Bosch would put his life before basketball. And I don't know if he's doing that, but I hope his family and his friends and his close ones really, you know, talk to him and get him to realize the importance of his life over the game of basketball. He's already a Hall of Famer, undoubtedly a Hall of Famer in my mind. So he should really put life before his life before basketball. But anyway, besides that, so we just talked about no significant additions to replace the losses of Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Lou Aldang, and Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Um, yeah, ugly, ugly offseason for the Heat. I think they won 48 games. And you know why it's really interesting? Because I'm, I'm talking and listening to myself right now out loud talk about how bad the Heat's offseason was. I gave them a C-, by the way, which really, it should be a D plus or it should be an F, really. They failed this offseason. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at my projected record. I'll give it away right now. I have them projected at 37 and 45. And I'm listening to myself talk about the Heat right now and their horrible offseason. And I want to lower that. I actually want to lower that to like 34 wins. I'm not going to do it right now. But I'll leave it at 37 for now. But, um, man, so no significant additions. Um, this is really going to be the true test of Eric Spolstra as, as coach. Now, for an X-Factor, I, th- I think that Eric Spolstra... His coaching talent could be an X factor for the Heat, actually. And you know, I could put, you know, Hassan Whiteside will he play better with his max contract? Will he actually play worse because the motivation for that money's not there anymore? Or will he stay the same? If he stays the same, they're gonna, that's what they expect. Um, but if he decreases his production, they're going to be in serious, serious trouble. They're going to rely on Whiteside more. They're going to rely on Dragic more. Rely on Winslow more. And then they've got, um, they've got, you know, some other players there as well. Um, such as Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson. The Heat also have a very weak bench, especially at power forward and center and small forward. I mean, I think their backup center right now is Willie Wee, Re- Willie Reed, um, who actually has some potential, but he's not ready for backup center. Uh, their power forward, I mean, they're going to have to go small. They might put Winslow there a lot, but without Bosch there, they've got McRoberts, and I don't even know who else they have after him. And at small four behind Winslow, if they have to put Winslow at power forward, they got like James Johnson. I mean, this team is weak. Their point guard situation is fine with Dragic and Beno Udrid. Their shooting guard situation is probably their deepest position with Josh Richardson and, and Tyler Johnson. But other than that, they have a weak bench. They lost. They have six, such significant losses in the offseason that they didn't replace. Um, oh, I forgot that De- Deion Waiters is now a shooting guard as well. So that shooting guard is probably their best position and their deepest position. 
Um, and listen, they've got they've got some players there, right? A starting lineup of Drogic, Josh Richardson went healthy, Winslow, or maybe it's Drogic, Waiters, Richardson, Winslow, Whiteside. That's a that's that starting lineup is like a kind of like a 37 win starting lineup, but their bench is weak. And we haven't, we don't really know yet if Eric Spolstra is a, is a good coach. I believe in Eric Spolstra. I've been on the record with friends and family defending Eric Spolstra. So this will be the true test of Eric Spolstra. I don't think he's going to get it done, actually. You know, I am a defender of him, but I'm realistic. This team is not very good, and they had some significant losses. Not only did they lose good players, but they lost franchise icon in Dwayne Wade and a semi-icon in Chris Bosh. So then the Heat... After their C-minus offseason, their significant losses finished with a record of 37-45, and 45, missed the playoffs, are fourth in the Southeast Division. And for their fantasy segment, I think the stud is Whiteside because I didn't really know who else to give it to. I, I thought about giving it to Goran Dragic, but I'm not sure maybe if he can ever reclaim that kind of Phoenix Suns production. He is 30 years old now. Yes, he'll have the ball in his hands more and he'll run more pick and rolls and et cetera and stuff like that. And I think Dragic will have a good fantasy season, but I think Whiteside is the kind of the sure fire stud on this team. And the bust, I think, is is Justice Winslow for fantasy. He's kind of like, um, kind of like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. His stats don't exactly translate from on the court production to fantasy production. Um, and I'm not sure if they're going to play him with power forward. He'll be undersized, or you know what his minute situation is going to be like. You know, I just think that it's kind of kind of a murky situation for Justice Winslow. So the Miami Heat finishing fourth in the Southeast Division with a record of 37 and 45. Their stud is Hassan Whiteside and their bust is Justice Winslow. Okay. We're now about to finish the Southeast Division preview with the Orlando Magic. I think the Magic finished fifth in the Southeast, obviously. (laughs) Um, They missed the playoffs. And I think they have a record of 36 and 46. So originally, it's actually originally I had the Heat at 39 wins, and then almost like very, uh, like almost right before I went on air, uh, just a half hour ago, I, I moved the Heat down to 37 wins because I was looking at my notes and I was like, this team is not going to win 39 games; they'll win 37. And I think that's an optimistic view of the Heat: 37 wins. The Magic, I think, will have 36 wins. I believe they won 35 last season, so they're improving by one win. I think that the addition of Frank Vogel is kind of the, is pretty much their best move or or addition in the offseason. Um, I think Scott Skiles was not a bad coach, but he didn't really didn't seem like he had that he had control of the locker room and wasn't and the the, the organization and team didn't really buy into him. Um, so I think that Frank Vogel is there, and I think I think Frank Vogel is an excellent coach. I was shocked the Pacers let him go, but I think Vogel is an excellent coach, and we'll be talking about the Central Division next week um so then um i think that also in terms of like their offseason i gave the magic a b minus for the offseason and i think the signings are good are good individually i like, I like the biombo signing i guess i do um but how and where does it all fit i mean yes we know they traded for baka you know kind of a franchise altering move with trading oladipo and their draft pick who turned out to be sabonis for Ibaka. Um, but the thing is that, you know, in, in terms of the other offseason moves, like Jeff Green, DJ Augustine, and Jordan and Jordy Meeks, they kind of seem like unnecessary signings and trades. Um, I just don't know where it all fits. That's the, that's the one question I have with the Magic. Where and how does it all fit? You know, th- this obviously brings up a 
positional battle in Bismack Biombo versus Nikola Vucevic. Um, we know Vogel loves his defensive-minded teams, and that he'll definitely get a really good defensive team out of out of a lineup that has Alfred Payton, Aaron Gordon, Serge Ibaka, and Biombo on the court. But there'll be no shooting. If you put Aaron Aaron Gordon at small forward, which Frank Vogel says he's going to do. He says he wants to do like a point forward kind of thing like Paul George. There's going to be absolutely no shooting on that floor at all. There's only Evan Fournier. And so, um, shoot, this, this team is going to be bad offensively. Now, if you start Vucevic, you have some. He can kind of spread the floor a little bit. Ibaka can spread the floor a little bit. But Ibaka's on, been some reason on the decline significantly over the past two seasons in, in Oklahoma City. His shot blocking is down, his offensive production is down, his contributions are just down for some reason. It's very strange. I think it'll pick back up a little bit uh, in Orlando. But again, this, this really the question with the Magic is how and where does it all fit? So I think they're going to win 30, they have a record of 36 and 46, fifth in the Southeast, missed the playoffs. I think their fantasy stat will be Evan Fortier, because as I just mentioned, and so, uh, oftentimes they're going to have no shooting on the floor besides Fournier. He just he got re-signed for that kind of max deal. He's going to have a larger role. He's going to he's going to be relied on to have a lot more offensive production, a lot more shooting. I think that'll be good for his fantasy production. I think he'll be the fantasy stud. The fantasy bust that I just mentioned, the positional battle, will be Nikola Vucevic. I think he's going to have a smaller role. He might even get traded. He might be demoted to the bench. I don't I don't th- I think Vogel really wants Biombo to start more than Vucevic. So I think that because of Vucevic's smaller role and kind of murky situation in terms of minutes and possible trade rumors, I think Vucevic will be the bust. So, to recap, the Magic will be fifth in the Southeast Division with a record of 36 and 46. Their fantasy stud, Evan Fournier, and their fantasy bust, Nikola Vucevic. In just a moment, we'll be getting to the preview of the Southwest Division of the NBA in one moment. I just wanted to remind everyone that this podcast, or this radio show, whichever one you want to call it, the 94 Feet Report, is brought to you by Fan Essentials. Um, I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, Fan Essentials is a great site and company that gives you um, kind of monthly subscription boxes to your favorite team. Um, So... You, what you do is you buy a subscription package for a box of your favorite team in the NBA, NFL, NFL, MLB, I believe MLS is coming up, and the NHL. And each month you get a box of your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door. It's unique items. You can't really find them anywhere else. It's great. I've tried it out for the Rockets. Um, it's just a great company. It's a great kind of nice way to pick up your month. Um, if you use promo code 94FEET at checkout, you get 30% off your first purchase. Again, the giveaway question how this works is I posted the question on Twitter and I'm going to be talking about it throughout the episode. Um, and whoever answers it correctly first on Twitter will get a free month of fan essentials for any team. The question is, which player has the highest three-point percentage in a single season? So which player, the player has to qualify, has the highest three-point percentage in a single season? I'll give you a hint. It's pretty recent. So there's that. And we'll be getting to our Southwest Division preview in just a moment. Okay, the Southwest Division of the NBA, our final divisional preview for this episode of the 94 Feet Report here on All In Sports Talk Radio Network. 
Let's start off with the San Antonio Spurs, obviously, right? What else did you expect? The Spurs, I believe, will win the division comfortably. I think that the Spurs had a solid offseason. I gave them a B-plus for the offseason. And, you know, they lost Tim Duncan, and that'll be a major change. Not not only because of his production, which was still solid last season, but just kind of that he's an icon. He's a Spurs icon, and he's gone. He's a legend, you know? So Bryant, Kobe Bryant's gone. Kevin Garnett is gone. Tim Duncan is gone. Paul Pierce is going next year. You know, these legends are dropping like flies. Um, I think that kind of emotional effect on the fan base and the team will be a little, will be minor. Um, but I think that his actual production is actually mostly offset by the additions of Paul Gasol and Dwayne Dedman. I think Dwayne Dedman was an excellent under-the-radar sleeper signing of the offseason. The guy can produce, and they signed him for cheap. So... I think Gasol and Dedman will offset, you know, Duncan's production mainly. Uh, I think that DeAndre Murray was a good draft pick. You know, the Spurs, they still always seem to be drafting well and doing well in the offs and, and doing well in free agency. So that was a nice draft they had there. In terms of their losses for the offseason, obviously I just mentioned Tim Duncan. Uh, Boris Diaw they lost because they had to clear cap space for Gasol, so they traded him to the Jazz for a bag of peanuts. Um... David West went to continue his ring-chasing world tour and went to uh, the Golden State Warriors for the veterans minimum. And he lost Boban Marjanovic to the Pistons. Um, he was a restrictive free agent, and the Pistons signed him for, I believe, three years, $21 million, and the Spurs declined to match. Those are All four of those players I just mentioned are from the front court. So those are some front court losses that they're going to have to replace. So they brought in Gasol, they brought in Deadman, they also brought in David Lee, um, and they also have LaMarcus Aldridge still there, obviously. Um, and the thing with, I mean, the Spurs, you know, I just read off some significant front court losses from their team. Um, but they have Kawhi Leonard. They have LaMarcus Aldridge. They have Paul Gasol now. Um, they still got Tony Parker, you know. They still got Ginobili, you know, technically. You know, they brought in some Deadman to improve the bench. They got Danny Green there. You know, the Spurs will still compete. I mean, especially with Popovich there and that system that's still in place and will probably be in, be in place until the day I die. Um, they're still going to compete. I think that they will finish with the second best record in the West, actually. Um, and who knows what they'll do in the playoffs. But I think the Spurs uh, will always still be competing, especially with this core they've got now, even though they lost Duncan. Uh, the real question is this question that's kind of come up on NBA Twitter and, you know, these kind of smart, smirky, you know, NBA Reddit and stuff like that. Is Kawhi Leonard a system player? I mean, we just heard the other week that Jason Terry called Kawhi, along with Clay Thompson, B, quote unquote, B players. So it was an interesting idea brought up. A lot of people laughed at Terry for saying that about Kawhi. Uh, Kawhi has struggled in clutch moments and big time games in the playoffs. Uh, there will be more responsibility now. You know, people are going to be shining a light on him. Duncan is gone. Ginobili is definitely going to be going next year. Parker is and Ginobili is basically nothing now. And and Parker's production has significantly decreased over the past couple of seasons. Yes, Lamarcus Aldridge is there. Yes, they brought in Paul Gasol. But this is Kawhi's team now, and they, they, the major responsibility is going to be on him now to carry this team. And I think he will do a pretty good job of doing that. I think the Spurs are, have a projected record. I have them projected for 60 and 22. I think their fantasy stud is, you know, I was just talking about Kawhi. It's Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you could put LaMarcus Aldridge, but I think you just know what you're getting with LaMarcus now. I think there's a little bit more that they can tap into Kawhi Leonard, especially in the offensive production. I think that there's more, you know, he can improve his game on, and I think he'll get more responsibility on the offensive end. So I think Kawhi Leonard is the stud. And the bust, I think, is Paul Gasol. 
Um, not because I think he's just going to drop off like production-wise, but I think that he'll have less playing time because you know Popovich rests his guys for the playoffs, and he'll definitely do that with Gasol, who I believe is 35 years old or 36. And he kind of Gasol's now playing kind of like a in um, more of a system, you know, systematic kind of of ball. Um, so he's not going to. I don't know how it's going to work with Aldridge and Leonard there, and you know Gasol is the third option now, so. I just think that the less playing time in the, the system he's moved to in San Antonio makes Gasol a bust. So San Antonio Spurs win the Southwest Division with a record of 60-22, and 22, with the fantasy stud being Kawhi Leonard and the bust being Paul Gasol. Alright, next up, my personal favorite team and a team that I could probably do multiple radio episodes on, the Houston Rockets. Yes, that's right. If you couldn't tell, I have the Rockets a second in the Southwest Division. I gave the Rockets a B-plus for their offseason. Um, and the thing is that, you know, a lot of people didn't like the Mike D'Antoni signing, and I certainly was not a, a defender of the D'Antoni signing in, up until the last couple of weeks. But you have to think about it. As a Rockets fan or as an NBA fan, you have to reflect on their coaches they've had the past couple of seasons between J.B. Bickerstaff and Kevin McHale of the past that covers the pretty much the past four years and the whole tenure of James Harden, you can confidently say Mike D'Antoni is the best coach the Rockets have had in, in five-plus years. So it's not as – I mean, the Rockets finally have a coach that knows his system, knows how he wants to play, and they built a roster for him. And the fact is that the Rockets have, have been playing Mike D'Antoni's style of play for a while anyway, so might as well, might as well just sign the innovator of that style of play to perfect it. Another uh, kind of storyline is, you know, they lost Dwight Howard, people saying, you know, Oh, the Rockets are going to be the same as last year or worse because they lost Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, I, in my opinion, and a lot of Rockets fans will say this too, Dwight Howard, the loss of Dwight Howard is addition by subtraction. Not only is Clint Capella, or Nene for that matter, ready to take over, but I think it should be Capella who starts. And Capella had similar numbers to Howard in, in per 36 minutes. That's, um, Capella has a lot of potential. He's 22 years old. Very athletic, very young, he's developing, and Capella seems to be ready to take over. And I think that's just the loss of Dwight Howard. Not only does it free up more offensive possessions that you don't have to go into the post in to, because Clint Capella does not require the ball in the post for him to be happy. He's happy running the pick and roll, unlike Dwight Howard. Um, so I think that Dwight Howard's, and not only that, you know, not only the lack of post-ups now, which will be huge, tremendously beneficial to the Rockets offense but not only that is it just the chemistry you know Dwight Howard's gone this is officially James Harden's team they gave him the extension they gave him role players that fit the style of play they want to play with it's time for Harden to show he's the leader stand up on the defensive end continue his offensive production which is just otherworldly and um, lead this Rockets team back to the promised land which is not a championship just promised land is being a good you know winning team Another key thing from the Rockets is that they finally have shooting. Oh my god, I cannot tell you how many times last season Harden would do masterful things with the ball only to pass it to Trevor Ariza, to Demo, DeMontis Martinez, to, to Corey Brewer. I mean, and they would just clank those threes. They would build a huge house with those bricks that they, they shot last year. They got Eric Gordon. They got Ryan Anderson, two excellent shooters to space the floor. Teams will no longer be able to cramp into Harden when he drives to the basket. If they do, he'll kick it out to Anderson, 
or Gordon, or even Beverly, who's a 40% three-point shooter, and Ariza, who's even a 37% shooter. So right now they've got so much more shooting out there for Harden and for a, a team that's coached by Mike D'Antoni is so significant that they have this. Also, I think that Nene was a sneaky good pickup for just under $3 million for a one-year deal. Nene looked great in the Olympics. The Rockets actually played their first preseason game last night against the Shanghai Sharks, winning by over 30 points. Um, Nene looked great, as did Eric Gordon and, of course, James Harden. Um, so I think that I, I gave the Rockets a B-plus for the offseason. Yes, their defense is going to be bad, but I think that... This, I mean, the team in 2014-2015 that went to the Western Conference Finals that had that top 10 defense, Dwight Howard only played 41 games that season, and um, they had a great defense, and they had great chemistry, and they made it to the Western Conference Finals. This team is more talented, especially in the offensive end. They have very similar players. I don't understand why they can't repeat, I mean, not repeat the top 10 defense, but why can't this Rockets team have anywhere from a 15th to 17th ranked defense in the league? Right? If they combine that, that 15th, let's say they have a 15th, let's say they have a league average defense, 15th. Right? Or let's say they have a 17th best defense, right? If they combine that with a top three offense, that's a 50 win team. That's what I think is going to happen. I think they had a good offseason. They brought in the best coach they've had in years. I think the Rockets have a record. Win 50 games, they go 50 and 32. Uh, it's not a shocker who I think the fantasy stud is. It's James Harden. I actually think James Harden will be such a stud. That he'll have the num- he'll be the number one fantasy player this year. He's going to be the point guard. He- I think Harden could average 30 points, nine assists, six rebounds, right? Over two and a half threes a game. Uh, get you over a steal per game. Get you over a half a block per game. I think Harden will be the number one fantasy player. We know he plays a lot of minutes and he doesn't get hurt. And the bust. You know, it's kind of hard to label a bust. I mean, everyone else in this team is- are role players, so it's not really. Kind of, it's not really easy to pick a bust. If I had to pick one, I think I probably would pick Ryan Anderson. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, he's in a Mike D'Antoni system. Oh, my God, he's starting. Oh, my God, he's going to be great this year. Oh, my God, so many threes, so many points, blah, 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 such great percentages. Yeah, no. Uh, Anderson provides you with points and provides you with threes. That's pretty much it for his position. He's a weak rebounder at the power forward position. He's bad shooting percentages um he's a good three-point shooting percentage but his field goal percentage overall is low 40s um and i think obviously the injury concern with him and gordon and nene that's the only knock i have on the rockets offseason they got three guys who all have injury concerns and will all probably miss 10 to 15 games so i think the rockets have a deep enough bench to carry and kind of make up for those losses and during those games but yeah so the rockets 50 and 32 the stud is hard and the bust pretty much everyone there's no really bust for this team because everyone else is role players. Next up, the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's just hurry up a little bit. I think the Grizzlies are finished third in the Southwest Division with a project with a record of 48 and 34, so only two games behind the Rockets. I gave them a B for their offseason. And the team, the, the key with this team is that health is crucial. And I'm not, I'm not only talking about Mike Conley and Marcus O anymore, who both were injured last year. I'm talking about Chandler Parsons, the guy they brought in, the significant signing of the offseason for them, and has injury concerns over the past two seasons. And he's got to stay healthy because he's going to be a key cog in the Grizzlies getting back to that kind of top five, top six playoff team. Um, I think Dave Yeager is a better coach than David Fisdale, who they brought in. Um, so that's kind of going to, you know. I don't like the Fisdale signing as coach, and I don't like letting Jaeger go, but it is what it is. It's not a huge loss, I don't think. I think Fisdale can be okay, but Jaeger was good. 
Um, in terms of players, they had no significant losses in the offseason. And I really like the Parsons and Ennis, the James Ennis signings. Uh, they brought, sh- they bring shooting to the team. Parsons brings more playmaking. Um, and the question with the Grizzlies is that, you know, is this still that grit and grind team that we've all known to uh, come to know and love? Yes, they still got Conley. Yes, they got Gasol there, and they still got Randolph. But those guys are aging, especially Randolph. There are concerns with Gasol in terms of injury and durability. They might be holding him out of back-to-backs this season. They brought in Parsons and Ennis, who don't really fit with grit and grind. Tony Allen is getting older and just less productive. It's almost He's almost like unplayable on the offensive end. This team will still be good defensively, but now they finally realize that they need to get shooting. So Conley's a pretty good shooter. Parsons is a great shooter. You know, Randolph can hit that kind of mid-range jumper, and, and Gasol can spread the floor a little bit for a center as well. They finally have more shooting. It's not a lot of shooting. They did sign Troy Daniels as like a minor signing, so if he hits the floor, he provides great shooting. But they did kind of realize that they can't only play grit and grind defensive style anymore. So yeah, I have the Grizzlies winning a record of 48 and 34. I think the stud will be Chandler Parsons actually. I think he'll have a really nice role in Memphis. They're going to rely on him for his playmaking and shooting. I think I think he can stay healthy, right? If he, I think he'll probably miss 10 games, but if you you know he can play upwards of 70 games and kind of gave you similar production that last season in Houston. You know, he'll have the ball in his hands a little bit uh, more than than in Dallas, I believe, and will be relied on a lot more in the offensive end as well. The bust, I just mentioned him, uh, Marcus Sol, just because of the inju- injury and durability concerns. Um, he's a great fantasy player when healthy, but is he going to be fully healthy this season? Are they going to hold him out of games, etc.? It's just a murky situation with his injuries and, and durability overall. So the Grizzlies, 48-34, and 34, the third team in the Southwest Moving on to the Dallas Mavericks, who I gave a C-plus for the offseason. I think the Mavericks will finish just a game over 500 at, at 42-40. and 40. Um, I thought, as I mentioned in my first episode a couple of weeks ago, I thought that the Harrison Barnes signing was kind of smelled of desperation. Um, I thought Boga was a great pickup when Golden State needed cap room for Kevin Durant. They just swooped in and took Boga, and I thought it was a great pickup. Um, but they did lose several rotational players in Chandler Parsons, who I think is better than Barnes. They lost Raymond Felton to the Clippers, and they lost Zaza Pachulia, though I think Bogut more than makes up for the loss of Zaza. Uh, but overall, I mean, I think that, you know, Car- Rick Carlisle is still a great coach. Um, but I think that this team is at best kind of the same as last year, which is the, I believe they were 42 and 40 last year, actually. Um, so I think that that's why I just, I think that at best their team is the same as last season. I mean, Parsons, I think, is better than Barnes. Um, they lost Felton. You know, they re-signed Deron Williams. Wesley Matthews is healthy now. Dirk Nowitzki is a year older, but doesn't really seem like he's slowing down that much. But uh, I think, you know, like kind of optimistically, I think this team is as good as last season, which isn't that good to begin with. I think that Carlisle, being such a great coach, and the addition of Bogut kind of puts them over the edge in terms of, you know, being 500, um, but I do think that they missed the playoffs. I mean, I, if I hadn't mentioned it before, I think the Rockets and Grizzlies make the playoffs. I think the Mavericks are the first team in the Southwest Division to not make the playoffs. Um, so I think that the Mavericks, after their C-plus offseason, will finish just a game over 500. They'll be fighting for that A-seed pretty much throughout the entire season, but I think they'll miss it in the final couple weeks of the season. So I think that their stud... Um, is Andrew Bogut, actually. I think their fantasy stuff will be Andrew Bogut because he's going to have a bigger role. They're going to rely on him to play make. He's a great passer for a big man. If he stays healthy and gets, you know, up 
anywhere from anywhere up to 30 minutes a game, he's going to produce for that team, especially in a, in a larger expanded role. The bus, I think, is Harrison Barnes, kind of for what you'd expect. I think he'll definitely have a great, a better season than he did any time in Golden State because he's going to have bigger roles starting uh, 30 to 34 minutes a night. Anyway, he's the max signing of the offseason. They're going to rely on him a lot. But I think that if you're going to rely on Barnes that much, he'll disappoint a little bit. I mean, I, I would look to draft him in fantasy leagues, which is why, again, the term the terms stud and bust are used loosely in this on this show. But I think it would just be a little bit of a bust for what you would expect from Harrison Barnes. So Dallas Mavericks, projected record of 42-40, and 40, fantasy stud Andrew Bogut, fantasy bust Harrison Barnes. The final team of today's episode and in the Southwest Division is the New Orleans Pelicans. I think the Pelicans will finish fifth in the Southwest Division. And again, just like the Heat earlier in this division, in this preview uh, of this episode, actually, I'm kind of sitting here, you know, trying to talk myself out of my projected record for the Pelicans. So I have them right now as, as a projected record of 34 and 48, but I think that I kind of want to make that 32 and 50 with all the injuries and, and players they're going to be missing in the early part of the season. But anyway, let's dive into their offseason. Um, as I mentioned in my first episode where we did general offseason recaps for every team, uh, I, I like the Solomon Hill, Etuan Moore, and Langston Galloway signings for you know kind of fill in the rotation players. Um, but the the real key thing about the Pelicans offseason and what they're going to miss this season, I think the most, is that they didn't replace Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. You can say, oh, you know, Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, they're always injured, blah, blah, blah. They're not great players. But they were significant parts of the Pelicans rotation. You know, Gordon started, Anderson started at times, and there was a six-man last year. Um, so, yes, they're not, like, Anderson, Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon aren't, like, great players in the grand scheme of the NBA, but they were significant players on the Pelicans team and in their rotation. And they didn't really replace that. I mean, they brought in Buddy Heald to kind of take over at shooting guard, but is he going to be ready to produce like Eric Gordon did? I don't think so, Not especially not this year. Um so that's why that's like the big knock I had in the Pelicans offseason, which is why I gave them a C plus for their offseason. So I like their kind of like rotational fill in the rotation level player signings, but they didn't replace their two big losses at all. Another really kind of worrisome thing about the Pelicans this season is that you know like like last season when they got off to that horrible start because of injuries and um, well mainly because of injuries and just kind of they couldn't really adjust to Alvin Gentry's system because they didn't have the right players and pieces at the time. And they got off to that dreadful start. They could have another dreadful start because they're not going to have Drew Holiday and Tyreek Evans to start the season. And that's going to spell trouble. Uh, as we know, Drew Holiday's wife um, has a, a, a brain tumor, I believe, and also has to, you know, I believe just gave birth to their daughter. Um, so Drew Holiday said he's going to be sitting out as long as, po- as long as necessary to take care of his family. And a lot of people are thinking that's going to be at least all, most, if not all, of 2016. So he might not even be back till January. Tyreek Evans, there's more optimism. They might most people are thinking that he's going to come back in mid to late November, but that's still a month without Evans. Uh, and then to, to replace that, you know, who do you have starting at point guard? You know, Langston Galloway. Do you have Tim Frazier? Do you put Etuan Moore there? Um, how do you start? You know, is it going to be Solomon Hill at small forward with Tyree with Anthony Davis at power forward, and is Omar Ashik starting at center with his stone butterfinger hands? There are a lot of questions and, and a lot of injury 
concerns for this Pelicans team to start the season, which is why I think they're going to get off to another rough start and they're not going to recover in time. And that's why I think that they're going to win 34 games and go 34 and 48. Another thing is that I don't, I really just don't think Alvin Gentry is a good coach. Um, and David and Anthony Davis has proven he really can't carry this team. I mean, he did carry them to the eighth seed two seasons ago, but ever since then, Davis always seems to miss 10 to 15 games. He seems like a player that puts up great numbers but can't carry the team. Like, James Harden puts up great numbers, and, and he has single-handedly carried the Rockets over the past couple of seasons. Anthony Davis puts up great numbers but gets hurt a lot and can't carry the team. And Alvin Gentry, I don't think, is a good coach, and they're going to have some serious trouble uh, in the beginning part of the season, which is why I don't think they'll recover in time to do anything significant this season. So the New Orleans Pelicans, fifth in the Southwest with the record of 34-48. and 48. I think their fantasy stud is Anthony Davis, like the Rockets. Who else is there, really, right? I think Drew Holiday, though. When he comes back, I think Drew Holiday is going to be great um, fantasy-wise if he stays healthy. So that there's something to look forward to, but he might, not, he might miss three months of the season. We don't know. I think the bust will be Tyreek Evans because there are some serious injury concerns there. He's been injured on and off throughout his career. He's had some, he has injury concerns now going into the season and is going to miss um, some significant time in the beginning of the season. I don't know if he'll come back in time to produce a great season. So there we have it. Just to recap, we, recover, we covered and previewed the Southeast and Southwest divisions of the NBA. I have the Hawks winning the Southeast with a record of 46 and 36. In second, the Hornets with a record of 45 and 37. Wizards in third with a record of 43 and 39. The Heat in fourth with a record of 37 and 45. And the Magic in fifth with a record of 36 and 46. For the Southwest Division, I have the Spurs winning the division with a record of 60 and 22. The Rockets with a record of 50 and 32. The Grizzlies with a record of 48 and 34. The Mavericks in fourth with a record of 42 and 40. And the Pelicans in fifth with a record of 34 and 48. That'll do our for episode tonight um, on the 94 Feet Report brought to you by Fan Essentials. Again, Fan Essentials, you got to check them out for your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door each month. Promo code 94FEET at checkout gets you 30% off your first purchase. Again, our giveaway question for the week, which is posted on Twitter, my Twitter profile, at Eric Spiros, E-R-I-C-S-P-Y-R-O-S. You can find me on Twitter and follow me there. You'll get all the news for the updates on the radio show and the podcast and our giveaway. The giveaway question for this week is, which player has the highest three-point percentage in a single season? So the player has to qualify and I'll give you a hint. It is pretty recent, but which player has the highest three-point percentage in a single season? Anyways, you can find that question on Twitter. Whoever correctly answers it first will get a free month of fan essentials. So yeah, that's that's this week's episode of the 94 Feet Report here on Blah on All in Sports Talk Radio Network. Um, I don't know if I don't think I'll be going live next Monday due to some scheduling difficulties, but we will have an episode listening uh, to listen to next Monday at 10 p.m. I also work um, right for the Dream Shake on SB Nation, and I'm an analyst and insider for NBA Lead. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. This is the 94 Feet Report brought to you by Fan Essentials on All in Sports Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for listening to our divisional previews. Next week, we'll be previewing the Central and the Northwest divisions of the NBA. Look forward to having you guys on the show and next time previewing the NBA. This is Eric Spropolis at Eric Spiros on Twitter, and this is the 94 Feet Report on All In Sports Talk Radio Network. Thanks so much, guys.